Romans series that has us walking through the book of Romans and all of its 433 verses, a series that we have called from the beginning Foundations of Our Faith because that's what Romans gives to us. And this book is truly the greatest letter that Paul wrote. It's the greatest book in Christian theology. It's the most influential letter ever written on the face of the earth. And in walking through it, we have seen highs and we have seen lows in this letter. We have been brought to the depths of our sin in this letter and the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. And we've been brought to the heights of salvation through this letter and the grace that has been given to us. And the reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing, a life-giving thing. Because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we no longer have to fear God's wrath. That should have got an amen from someone. Um, but we, we live, listen, because of our faith in Christ, we live in God's love, his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his power. The, the gospel is a freeing thing. The, the finished work and because of the finished work of Christ, we don't have to constantly live wondering what other people think and we don't have to live trying to earn anything with God. Yet the unfortunate reality on, or on the other side of that reality are people who still try to do all kinds of things in order to earn, um, in order to be right with God or earn salvation of God. In some cultures, sacrifices are offered to appease the gods. I'll never forget our first trip to India, we went to a village, and we went to a Buddhist temple. And at the Buddhist temple, although they deny it, they say children's sacrifices are still taking place. And we walked through this temple, and all we did was pray. And we just prayed and prayed and prayed, but it was one of the most spiritual, dark places I've ever been. But sacrifices that are still being made, people bathe in sacred rivers, and they meditate on sacred mountains. Others bow down before statues, or they burn incense. And the book of Romans shows us that there are only two choices when it comes to God's judgment and to our eternity. Either we trust in our own conduct, measuring ourselves against some religious or moral measurement so that we can be declared good enough, or we trust in and base our defense on the righteous one, Jesus Christ. If Paul points out to us, that there is one sacrifice and there is one Savior. Salvation is available only to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today, what that um, represents and what that entails. And as we said last week, Romans 10 is the other side of the coin of Romans 9. And Romans 9, as tough as it was, it shows us that God is sovereign over our salvation. Well, Romans 10 shows us the role that we play in our salvation. The first 13 verses of Romans 10 focus on how we believe. And then the, the beginning at verse 14 all the way to verse 21, Paul shifts his focus on how we help others to believe. So we're going to dive in this morning and see salvation from our side of the coin and also see our responsibility given to us by God to let the truth be known. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Would this be a great time in the service for me to say, Fathers, please put your flashlights down so you can focus on the message. 
So beginning at chapter 10, verse 5, all the way to verse 21, Paul writes these words. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your hearts who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for the voice has gone out to all the earth and the words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this word. What a powerful word this is. It speaks of our salvation and speaks of, at the same time, our responsibility in our salvation. Lord, the calling, the command that you've given to us, to those who are saved. Lord, just speak, God, by your word, through your spirit. Stir the hearts of your people. And if there's any here or will be here that doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, and you may be seated. So as we just read, as we've seen through Romans, because there is one way of salvation, that is faith in Christ, and because we, the church, are the ones entrusted with the gospel message, let me say this. We, the ones on this side of heaven, owe the gospel to those who are on this side of hell. Let me say it again. We, on this side of heaven, Owe the gospel to those on this side of hell. Now that makes sense, right? Right. It should make sense. If there's only one way to be saved, and if we are the ones who know it, and if we are the ones who know him, then why are we the quiet ones? Why are we the quiet ones? We are invited to be involved in the world's greatest initiative. We're invited to participate in history's most exciting mission, knowing that And being invited, the the decisive act has already been accomplished. 
Now Jesus leads this mission from the control room of the universe at his Father's right hand. And by his Spirit, through his own people, he is still extending the offer of life to every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And we're not just, here's the deal, we're not just invited, we've been commanded to be a part of this. The great commission that Jesus gives in Matthew 28 is not just a suggestion to a few bold people, it's a command to all of his people to go and to take the message. So let's look at our role in salvation and our calling to let this gospel be known. So three truths today that shine forth from these verses. Number one, righteousness is based on faith. Righteousness is based on faith. Listen to verses 6 through 8 again. Just listen. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So salvation is not a matter of searching high and low or of working in order to win God's favor. God has already made provision for us in Christ Jesus. We don't have to scale the heights of heaven in order to gain salvation. Christ Jesus has come down to us from heaven with salvation. And we do not have to descend into the the depths to bring salvation up. For Christ has already descended into death and he has been raised to life. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, salvation is not a matter of performing some magnificent physical deed of ascending or descending. It's already here, present, and available. All we must do is hear this, believe. Believe. These great facts need to be believed and preached. Salvation for any of us According to Paul, is now as close as our mouths and our hearts are to us. No matter how dark the circumstances might be around us. And then Paul continues in verses 9 and 10, as you see on the screen. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love it. Period. Period. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And in the early church, the phrase Jesus is Lord was one of the most common and simple expressions by which believers confess their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a confession parallel or very similar to Israel's basic confession in Deuteronomy 6.4, what was called the Shema, which in Hebrew reads this, Yahweh our God is one Lord. Yahweh our God is one Lord. And that was their confession. Jesus is Lord. And in the Roman world, faithful citizens were increasingly being expected to acknowledge and declare that Caesar was Lord. So the original recipients of this letter had to face the issue of who's the Lord? Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? And here's an amazing thought. In the book of Acts, Jesus is twice referenced as the Savior. But 92 times he is referenced as the Lord. 
In fact, in the entire New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Savior some 10 times and as Lord some 700 times. When the two titles are mentioned together, Lord always precedes Savior. In fact, the very term God, by definition, includes the idea of sovereign authority, meaning lordship. So if Jesus is really your Savior and Lord, then he demands and deserves your glad submission and your wholehearted obedience. Paul Paul was clear that All that is necessary for salvation is to transfer all of our hopes out of our hands and into Christ's hands. And we don't add anything to it or we don't take away anything from it. So many, so many are happy in this this day and age. They're, They're happy to have a personal Savior. They want a Savior from hell. What they don't want is a Lord over their life. So many say, well, yeah, I've got, I've got a Savior. Well, are you obeying him? Are you following him? No, but I've got a Savior. Then guess what? No, you don't. No, you don't. If you've only come to him as Jesus and rejected him as Lord, then you have rejected him for who he is. In fact, let me show you why, why this is true with an illustration I've used many times. In James chapter 2, verse 19, we are told that Satan himself believes that there is a God and he trembles. In fact, I would say that Satan has probably more faith than many professing Christians do. Yet, he is not saved. But in this scenario, just imagine Satan coming here today among us and we see him. And he, I know Kenny has called me out on this, so he has to tell the truth. We know Satan's a liar, but here he has to tell the truth. So we ask Satan, Satan, do you believe in God? And he would say, yes, I believe in God. Well, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? And he would say, yes. Well, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And he would say, yes. Well, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? And Satan would say, yes, I believe it because I was there when it happened. And then you would say, well, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? And Satan would say, I know he's the only way to be saved. I'm trying to keep people from going to him. And then if we were to say, well, Satan, would you like to join the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way and use your talents, gifts, and abilities here? Satan would say, nothing would make me happier than to join your church and do what I do. Now, doesn't that sound like a great checklist? You believe in God? Check. Believe in the Bible? Check. Believe in Jesus? Check. Believe that Jesus died on the cross? Check. Join the church? Check. That's a great checklist for someone who does not possess or will never possess salvation. So how would we bring separation here? What question would we ask Satan that would separate him from us? And here's the question. Satan, will you repent of your sins and will you trust Jesus as Savior and will you bow the knee to him as Lord? And Satan would say, never. Never. And brothers and sisters, listen. We, we raise our hands to him as our Savior, but we must bow the knee to him as our Lord. We must bow the knee to him as our Lord. And here's where I want us to go. If God has already done the heavy lifting through the work of Jesus Christ, then what is our part? And Paul tells us our part is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Years ago, there was a man named John Patton. He was from Scotland, and he had 
a burden on his heart. He cared enough to pray about going, and eventually he went and decided to go to a group of islands in the South Pacific called the New, um, New Hebrides. And the people who lived there at the time were, were cannibals. So imagine that. But Patton, he loved them, he cared about them, and he prayed about going, and he went. And at first, he lived in fear of his life 24 hours a day. But the more he lived there, the more he was determined to stay and to translate the gospel of John into their language that they could understand. But he came up to, to one huge impediment, one huge problem. There was no word in their language for the word trust, believe, or faith. There was no word that encapsulated that idea. So Patton tried and tried and tried to figure out a word he could use for faith, belief, trust. One day he was in his tent sitting in his chair and an indigenous man came into the tent as John Patton was sitting in the chair and he was sitting in the chair with his legs up having all of his weight on the chair. And Patton asked the man from the area, what am I doing right now? And the man spoke a word that, and says it means to place your whole weight upon. Patton heard that word, and that's how he translated faith, belief, and trust in the New Testament. So if you were to have read John 3.16 in that language years ago, it would read something like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever places their whole weight upon him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is believing in your heart. That is saving faith. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, placing all their weight of faith and trust upon him, will be saved. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Righteousness, according to the word of God, is based on faith. Which leads us, secondly, to this. Faith comes by hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. Look at verses 14 through 17. It says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And then verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here we have the heartbeat of Christian missions. In a series of four hows, the apostle goes back over the steps that lead to salvation of Jews and Gentiles. Now John Stott, pastor, wisely noted that if we put these verbs in opposite order as they appear here, they will, we will see the essence of Paul's argument. Let's do it here. He says, Christ sends heralds. Heralds preach. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call. And those who call are saved. Or to put it a different way, unless people are sent, the good news will not be proclaimed. People will not hear the gospel. Unless people hear the gospel, they will not believe the gospel. Unless people believe in the gospel, they will not call on the name of the Lord. And if people don't call on the name of the Lord, they will not be saved. Now, in this picture, and I don't have time and wasn't going to address this, but let me just say this. 
people bring up this, well, what about those who've never heard? Let me tell you, those who've never heard, here's the reality. We get this thought in our head, well, what about the innocent person in Africa who's never heard? Well, you know, the innocent person in Africa who's never heard the gospel goes straight to heaven. But there's no such thing as an innocent person. That's the problem. There's no such thing as an innocent person. Every single person has sinned against the revelation that God has given. That's what Romans 1 is about. Every single one. Therefore, think about this. If all it takes for a person to get to heaven is to never hear the gospel, then what's the worst thing we could do? Tell them the gospel. Right? The worst thing we could ever do, if all it takes is to get to heaven is not hear the gospel, then we should go up to people and say, Put, have you heard about um, J-E-S-U-S? No, then put your hands over your ears and refuse to listen to anybody. And if you live and die, you'll go to heaven. Here's the point. The point is the only way to be saved is to hear about Jesus. And if we say, if we say, well, that just sounds unjust on God's part. No, it's unjust on our part. It's, it's, It's not God's injustice. It's our injustice that we haven't taken the gospel to them. It's our injustice. It's our part. So think about that phrase, without someone preaching. I know most of you right now, you're looking at me going, well, there you are. That's you. You're the preacher. That's your job. But the word preacher here doesn't mean people like me. It's not referring to a pastor behind a pulpit or to an evangelist under a tent. It means simply anyone who proclaims. It means a a herald. Anyone who speaks words, gospel words. And there's a, there's a saying I've heard for years, and I've never liked the saying, although many church people have grabbed a hold of it. It's often been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, even though um, some have kind of denied that in, in the years, kind of last few years. But a lot of people love it because they think it's cool and novel. And here's the saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And anyone who says that, it reveals somebody who has embraced a version of Christianity where words don't matter. The problem is words do matter. Now, we need more than words. Absolutely, we need more than words. We need actions to back those words up. But when we're talking about truth concepts of the gospel, we have to have words that bring those truth concepts into reality. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world, do good, and have fun. No, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said to those he sent around the Sea of Galilee, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach. Throughout Scripture, the gospel is only ever preached. Hear this. Throughout Scripture, the gospel is only ever preached through through a human instrument. Search the book of Acts, and you won't find one example of the gospel being shared apart from a human agent. Even the angel that was sent to Cornelius said, Cornelius, send for Peter, and Peter will tell you the gospel. Now, in my mind, like, God, it'd be a whole lot easier just to use angels, just to come down shining like crazy and say, Jesus is Lord, and more people would believe. But for some reason, that's against the rules. For some reason, the gospel can only be proclaimed through a human instrument. And look at verse 15, the end of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And that's a striking statement because of all of our body parts, our feet are the most not beautiful. 
Any father want to take off their shoes today and prove me wrong? Uh, please, please don't in this moment. But here's the deal. Even our feet look a whole lot better than the first century feet that walked in sandals everywhere. And in the midst of all they did, they didn't have the designer sneakers back then. They didn't have Dr. Scholl's. They didn't have nice orthopedics. Instead, they walked the path that animals walked. Leon Morris says this, messengers normally traveled on foot and the feet were the significant members. They might be dirty and might smell after a long, hot journey, but to those who eagerly awaited the good news, to them, those feet were beautiful. Think about this. What makes our feet beautiful? And what makes our feet beautiful is when, when our feet takes us into relationships with people that we love and we earn the right to share the gospel with them. Our feet become beautiful. And then notice this. Your mouth goes where your feet go. Did anyone else leave their mouth at home? Do they know wherever your feet go, your mouth goes with it. Hear this, for good or for bad. For good or for bad, your mouth always goes where your feet go. So beautiful feet are connected to Christians whose hearts are treasuring Christ and wanting to share the gospel. But let me say this. Can we be honest? Church is a good place to be honest. Why are we so quiet? Why are we so quiet? Why, why don't we share the good news of Jesus when we will share every other form of good news? Every other form of good news that we get, we share and the reason that we don't share the good news of Jesus is often we don't treasure it as good news. It's news. It's old news. But it's just not good enough to share. Yet, why must we share it? We have to share it because look at verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's where faith comes. Let me lay two quotes before you this morning. You'll see them on the screen. The first is from Charles Spurgeon who says this. Faith cannot be washed into us by immersion, nor sprinkled upon us in christening. It is not to be poured into us from a chalice, nor generated in us by a consecrated piece of bread. There is no magic about it. It, meaning faith, comes by hearing the word of God, and by that way only. Amen. Only. And then hear the words of D.L. Moody, who said this, and this is such a powerful quote. I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had up to this time closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study and faith has been growing ever since. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't close your Bible and say, I just don't have the faith I used to. The reason you don't have the faith you used to is because your Bible's closed. Open your Bible, read your Bible, and your faith will grow. Your faith will grow. Your faith will grow. Open your Bible, read your Bible, obey the words of this book through the Spirit of God, and your faith will grow. But how do we obey? We speak the message that produces faith. There's a story that... On January 21st, 1930, the name Harold Vidian became synonymous with heroism. On that day, England's King George V was scheduled to give the opening address at the London Arms Conference. The king's message was to be sent by radio all around the world. 
Donald, Donald McCullough, in his book, The Trivialization of God, writes that a few minutes before the king was to speak, a member of the CBS staff tripped over an electrical wire and broke it, cutting off the whole American audience. With no hesitation, Chief Control Operator Harold Vidian grasped one end of the broken wire in his right hand and the other in his left hand, thus restoring the circuit. Electricity surged through his body. Ignoring the pain, Vidian held on until the king had finished his address. And in that story, brothers and sisters, I see the challenge for us. The message of the king of kings must go to the whole world, starting right where we are. But it will only get there if we allow his power to pass through us. It'll only get there if we allow his power to pass through us. Will the saving power of God be transmitted through your life? Paul wrote, how will they believe in him who they have not heard? If we're willing to serve as conduits, regardless of the cost, the good news will be proclaimed all around the world. Which begs the question, will you be a conduit of the king's message now, maybe he won't take you around the world, but go as far as he takes you and share the gospel. The preached word has a, has a strange, life-giving power to it. The word of God not just tells us what to do, it gives us power to do it. It gives us power to believe. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, which leads last to the last truth. And the sad truth that Paul brings us to is this. Not everyone who hears will be saved. And what a sad, sad statement that is. Brothers and sisters, I have seen so many people walk in the doors of this church, and I could look at them as I was preaching. I could see God working, the Holy Spirit working all in their life, even conversations with them where you could see there was the Holy Spirit working in their lives, and yet they said no. And they walked out those doors and Many of them have never been seen again. Look at what Paul says. It's kind of on the screen, but verse 16, Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. They've not all obeyed. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And even though the gospel had not yet gone into the, the whole world at this point, Paul is saying, what he's saying here is this. He's quoting Psalm 19 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show forth his handiwork. There's no speech or language where creation's voice is not being heard. So Paul is saying, yes, everyone knows that there's a God. Everyone knows who he is and who has done all of this, or they should. And then in verse 21, listen to this. But of Israel, he says all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. How tragic. God's work is good news. God has sent his messengers, his people with good news. And men, mankind, doesn't want it. Man rejects God's offer of salvation and peace. They reject God's invitation of salvation. They reject God's righteousness. It's the tragedy of man's foolish unbelief that man says no to a God who is holding out his hands to them. God holds out his hands and says, come 
to me. And an unbelieving, foolish world says no. No. Listen, the great majority of people have disobeyed the gospel. How does a person disobey the gospel? By refusing to believe it. How does a person refuse to believe it? By believing that somehow they can do something else to go around Jesus. As we said last week, that they can do something to earn their place. But notice again, listen again, see again that dramatic imagery of father. Like a father inviting his child home, offering a warm and gracious hug. God is stretching out his arms saying, come home. It's a wonder of God's mercy that his goodness is not overcome by man's badness. Yet it's not. It is also a wonder of man's wickedness that his badness isn't overcome by God's goodness. And yet God's hands are stretched out even still. Let me end this way. Are there any here in this moment who are right now living on the eternal ledge of unbelief. Where up to this point, you have not called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. You have not fully, completely trusted in what Jesus has done for you. Will you, in this moment, put your full weight upon him? Will you trust him alone for your salvation? Will you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? Oh, I hope you would, and I hope you will. Even now, even now, call out to God and say, God, save me through your son, Jesus. And he will. He will. But let me also address Christians in this room who right now need to repent in a different way. I believe there's Christians in this room today who need to repent, not in a way that leads to salvation, but in a way that leads to forgiveness. Are there any in this room today who need to repent of the sin of being silent in the midst of a lost and dying world when Christ has called you or, dare I say, commanded you to tell others? Brothers and sisters, we have a unique opportunity because we have the only message that allows a person to get from earth to heaven. The only message that allows a person to get from earth to heaven, and we have it. And we have it. The work has been done, but the message is this. Believe in Jesus Christ. Will we take that message out? In studying this week, God has laid upon my heart to give us more ways of learning how to share our faith. And I know what we don't need is more ways. What we do need to do is begin to just share. Tell people. What God has done. Tell people about a sermon you heard. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. And brothers and sisters, if they reject you, they rejected him. But don't dare, don't let people's rejection of the gospel shake your confidence in it. For it is still the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And there is no shame in it. For Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. May we not be ashamed of it either. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hope Morgan comes because, oh, here she is. Okay. (laughs) She went back to her her Sunday school class. That almost got a little little sticky for a second. But about to have to call Kenny down. So let let us pray together. Father, we...
come before you. And God, this word isn't easy, but it's good and it's needed. Lord, we thank you for salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. I pray for anyone in this room or who will be here that up to this point hasn't trusted you. May today be a day of full, total trust, leaning all that they are upon all that Jesus has done for them. And in doing so, finding salvation. But Lord, help us as your children today to repent, God. Repent, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for keeping our mouth closed when we know you've called us to open it. Forgive us, Lord, for having family members around us that don't know you, and yet we maybe shared once or twice, but we stopped. Lord, forgive us for stopping. Lord, forgive us for refusing to open our mouth. Lord, forgive us for where we open our mouth for everything else and yet close it for you. Forgive us. God, help us to, by your spirit, through your power, to open our mouths and tell people about what Jesus has done for us. Embolden us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.